You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menunos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz. This is AfterBuzz TV's Sherlock After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Sherlock After Show. Hey there, Sherlock fans, Sherlockians, Lockheads, you crazy people. <laughs> I really do like Lockheads. I like it's Lockheads, lockheads too. Or Locksters. It was Locksters Locksters. Locksters, Lockheads. Lockheads maybe sounds a little too much like Blockheads, but that's also kind of why I like it. But it's okay. Hey, gang. We're here at uh, AfterBuzz TV. We're talking about Sherlock Season 1, Episode 3, uh, The Great Game. I'm Matt Lieberman. Joining me, fantastic panel, as always. Yell Teagle's here. Hello. Megan Salinas is here. Hey, everyone. Marissa Serafini is here. What's up, guys? Pulling double duty, ones and twos, and on the panel. Fantastic. Um, so, you know, this episode, I remember when it first aired. I was so excited. It was action-packed. There were stakes. There were gravity. We finally got to meet Moriarty. There was a great twist. And then that intense cliffhanger, which at the time, when I first saw it, I didn't know that it was only three episodes. So I waited all the next week for the conclusion. (laughs) And then I kept waiting. And then I kept waiting. And then I got really, really sad. And then (laughs) I kept waiting. How many weeks did it take you to get really sad? It took me two weeks to get really sad, three weeks to check out and see why I wasn't getting an episode. Okay, so it took you three weeks to realize, oh, I have to wait till next season. I'm a slow learner. He's no Sherlock. I'm no Sherlock. (laughs) I I freely admit it. (laughs) Best use of a sound effect on an AfterBuzz show ever. I'm so proud of you, Marissa. That was awesome. That was wonderful. So uh, I want to try to break this down as best we can. Uh, piece by piece. So, of course, we open uh, in Minsk as uh, Sherlock in is trying... Belarus. Yeah, in Belarus, Minsk. Uh, Minsk, Belarus. And uh, <laughs> Sherlock is uh, is investigating this potential mystery, which really turns out to be an open and shut case of uh, bad a domestic grammar. abuse. An open and shut case of bad grammar? Yeah. Do- bad grammar, domestic abuse, you know, hand in hand. Yeah. And uh, he comes home. He's just bored, 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 bored. Shooting holes in Mrs. Hudson's wall. <laughs> I know. And just going across the body and then straight forward and then across the body again. And it's just like, that's that's pretty bored, man. Mm-hmm. You got to be pretty bored to shoot up your own place. Um, <laughs> I'm very, very curious where the money's coming from to fix it. Because obviously she's putting it on his rent. I hope John doesn't have to pay for that. John probably pays for it. He probably has to pay for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I I have to wonder, you know, in terms of like what is Sherlock's financial situation because he doesn't do a lot of these cases for the money. Obviously, that interests him in no way. But you have to you have to buy food. <laughs> you assume, have to make a living. I yeah. assume Mycroft uh, pays the rent. I got to be honest. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I thought back to even when um in uh, in the second episode when he's like, take my card. You know, where's that money coming from? But you're right. You Mycroft, he's got a serious salary. I hope he had a good, or I hope Mrs. Hudson, if anything, has good insurance on the place. Yeah. Because as soon as he's done, you know, with his, uh, you know, as soon as John steps out of the apartment, then Boom! the wall comes down. Exactly. And we just, we suddenly, we have this mad bomber on our hands. Mm-hmm. Jim Moriarty is wiring all these people up with Semtex and giving them cell phones and forcing them to read his instructions to Sherlock and his taunts. And it's like, it's a very tense scenario. And I, I really loved it. It feels like a chase. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then all of a sudden in the last third of the story, the, the pips drop out, all the segmented mini mysteries drop out. And, um, the, the game changes once again. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to pin down this episode. Well, it's hard to pin down because there are about five mysteries yeah. in this one episode. There's, you know, we'll go through them all, but there, there's a lot. 
for Sherlock to solve, and each one of them, with the exception of maybe the one on the train tracks, is a race against time. So it's like, you know, we're rushing through this mystery to get to the next one, and then we rush through that one to get to the next one. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot in this episode, and watching it again, I was like, I forgot that there were five mysteries packed into this one episode. And I I know that, you know, some of the other, uh, the, the two previous episodes, um, especially with the cabbie, you know, we figured it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you said you figured it out very quickly that it was a cabbie. And so to kind of go from having one kind of central mystery in both of these episodes to all of a sudden, oh my gosh, we're jamming in five of them. This yeah. was a very quick paced episode. And if you don't pay attention or if you walk out of the room, I, you it's miss just a like, lot. see ya, you're gone. <laughs> you're lost for the rest of the episode. This yeah. is the episode that made me fall in love with Sherlock. Wow. This, I remember this episode, it ended and I went, oh my God, this is the greatest show ever. Yeah. Because up until now, it's been, okay, great. This is a great show. It's witty. It's fun. The mystery is kind of interesting. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it's five mysteries and they're almost all completely intertwined. They're really important. You're rushing through them. There's um, there's this like real suspense. There's the, this, this high stakes yes. for every single one of them. And, and then it gets higher and higher as yeah. it goes on. And the woman, the blind woman, mm-hmm. I remember crying the first time I yep. saw it. What an amazing, amazing show. Yeah, amazing show. There's an incredible density in the storytelling here that you, you don't really find anywhere else. Uh, and it, it's kind of like you said, Megan, you know, they trust the audience to the point that, you know, if someone's not paying attention, they will be left behind because they trust that the audience will be gripped and they will be paying attention because they are watching a mystery show. I mean, I personally I fell in love with it from episode one. Um, but, you know, this one definitely raised the stakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything since then, I think, has been built on this model of we don't need to just tell a mystery story. We are telling a story and mysteries are our medium. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's really more of a story of this showdown between two great minds who are competing uh, for dominance. And one is, you know, is doing his best to protect people. The other one is using people as his weapons. Um, and it's, it's a really brilliantly told story. So let's, let's just jump right in. So of course, Mycroft, he, he comes to the flat. Uh, trying to get Sherlock to pay attention to this this mystery of this man who was murdered on the train tracks. He's got these missile plans that went missing uh, that are very, very important for MI6, for MI5. Uh, he's talking about how he'd take care of it, but the, uh, uh, what was it, the North Korean election, or the South Korean elections are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it basically made it sound like he was rigging them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mycroft has a very interesting day job. <laughs> yeah, and he still can't maintain that diet, man. He's been he's trying for it. years. <laughs> he's very lean. I don't know why he's so obsessed with fitness. You know what? It might be that he maybe he was a little bit chubbier when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And so while he made Sherlock feel like an idiot, maybe Sherlock would call him mean names because he was bigger or yeah. something like that. And so Mycroft has made it a point to be like, I'm going to jog. I'm going to diet. Well, I don't know. I don't know if this is how he's portrayed in the books, but in Alan Moore's The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Mycroft Holmes is absurdly fat, is really, really, really fat. So I'm wondering if maybe that was how he was portrayed in the Arthur Conan, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle novels. And maybe that's like the fun wrinkle that they have of like, we can have Mark play this role, but he's just always dieting because he has the fat gene. Maybe. <laughs> that would make sense, actually. And I would love it if, since I'm sure the budget goes up every year, by season six, we've got the diet has just completely failed <laughs> and it's Gatus in the fat suit. And we are just having... A ball watching him be super fat. I would love that. I would love that too. Um, So he's trying to get him to investigate this case. Sherlock pretends not to be interested because he wants to frustrate his brother. Mm -hmm. So John instead must investigate it himself. I've got my best man on it. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, um, it's fun watching John try to piece this thing together. Uh, we're getting little bits and pieces. He visits the fiance. He meets the the brother-in-law. Um, you know, he's trying to figure it out, but he's no Sherlock. Right. Um, and he's also doing this in his spare time, if he has any, while they're trying to prevent people from dying from these crazy bombs. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about this, this part of the episode? Marissa, do you have 
Any thoughts? Uh, the, the, the party. Sorry, I was <laughs> emailing people. <laughs> oh, um, and, you know, I'm pulling double duty here. Oh, of course. Triple duty. duty no, here. we're, sorry, uh, we're just it? talking about John investigating uh, the Andrew Westerling uh, murder. He was bashed uh, on the head by the trains. No one's entirely sure how he got the batter. He doesn't have oyster no... card on him. No, no ticket. Nobody knows how he Why got there's there. no blood at the mm-hmm. scene. I, I, th- I thought it was brilliantly done. You know, just how again the you, the great thing about this episode, it was really literally Sherlock's intellect and how he examined all the bodies. We didn't really see the flying words here mm-hmm. and there. We just saw him because it was so fast paced. Yeah. He didn't even have time to like really look and analyze like he usually does. It's just like seeing from the standard observations here and here, this is what happened. And I, like I thought for a finale episode, it was brilliantly done how they just jam-packed five different mysteries in, especially yeah. for like one episode. But uh, yes, uh, I thought, you know, it's just great and that really set the tone for the rest of the mysteries that were that Sherlock had to solve for throughout the episode. Yeah. And, you know, you have room to jam-pack five mysteries in when you leave no room for a, fi- for a conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> and you've just got this dang cliffhanger. We, le- we leave off during the climax. It pissed me off so much <laughs> when, when I first saw it. I was so mad. I just wa- you want an ending. I uh, I didn't sit down to watch the first season until the second season was already out. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I I didn't have to wait either. I, I feel bad for for saying because I you know it was Am already I on Netflix the at that only point. one who watched it as it aired on BBC? Probably. Damn. All oh. right. Yeah. I watched season two. Oh, the only one. Um, <laughs> okay. I want to get into all of these these cases and go beat by beat. Yeah. Um, but first I gotta talk about iTunes. Gotta do it, getting it out of the way so that yes. we can just give you raw, unfiltered Sherlock goodness from here on out. And shout outs. Yeah. The, uh, folks, thank you so much for hitting us up on iTunes, for downloading this podcast, streaming it, watching it, doing what you do. It means the world to us. We wouldn't be doing this thing if we, we didn't want to have fans and we have amazing fans who, who love telling us uh, how they feel about the show and their theories and thoughts about the season that we just saw and all these past episodes. It's why we're going back into the back catalog doing the whole show, because we love you that much. How can you potentially reciprocate this love? I'll tell you. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again. Go to iTunes. It only takes a second. Give us a review. Give us a rating. It means everything. It legitimately is the chief way in which our podcast is stacked up against other podcasts at AfterBuzz, other podcasts on iTunes. We want to be the number one Sherlock show on iTunes, number one show on AfterBuzz TV. It's not that hard. Been in the top ten since we launched. I want to be back at number one till we go off the air at the end of next week. Although I issued a challenge at the end of last week's episode – we beat out Walking Dead this week. Nice. Uh, yesterday on the top downloads, Sherlock was higher than Walking Dead. Nice. Good job. Yes. Listen up, you lockheads. We got to do it again. <laughs> we got to make sure that everyone, and I mean everyone, on the Walking Dead panel knows that hey. we are more special than them. Hey! You're a part of it. So you're more special here than you are there, which is not to say that you're not special all so the time. So I dim- like my specialness gets diminished when I go onto that panel? I'm yes. just saying that your yes. specialness is kind of filtered through the fact that you're on the Walking Dead podcast. <laughs> anyway, we got shout outs. <laughs> Uh, to give out, we got a bunch of reviews this week. You know, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> Ebar, my tongue out for those yeah. of you who can't see. Ebar one two three says best show in the whole world. Holy Aww. f, you rock, Ebar one two three. The hosts are amazing. This podcast is amazing. This show is simply the best in the whole world. I mean, he wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. Thank you. Or she. I don't know who is. Uh, love, love, love this podcast. my classic r&b lover uh sherlock is one of my favorite shows and it am thrilled to have a podcast that matches its intelligence and rise sense of humor the hosts are absolutely perfect oh that's so nice rogers lax 24 says fantastic i'm so glad you guys are doing the previous episodes i actually like the blind banker better than hounds of baskerville Whoa. Whoa. Those are bold words. You know what? Everybody has their favorite. It's true. And I have friends who feel the same way. I talked to a guy last night, a buddy of mine, who just started watching Sherlock. Blind Baker is his favorite episode. 
I kid you not. Okay. Um, however, Scandal Bill Gravia still holds the top spot because it makes me think the most. The humor and riveting recaps make this a, a great show. Le- <laughs> hashtag Lieber Fans Nation. <laughs> what? It's this trending. is a thing. It's trending. It's officially trending. At Lieber the very fans. least, yeah, Lieber fans are trending at the very least in the AfterBuzz TV community. Oh my goodness. Uh, Kate the Great 88 says, love the show. I'm so glad you guys are going back and doing the old episodes. It gives me a great excuse to go back and rewatch them. Yep. Great show, great podcast from Tony Movie 1979. Good job, y'all. How easy was it for him to write that write that review? I'll tell you, it took him less than thirty seconds. Uh, wonderful show from Thistlethorn. Great name. Yeah, Sherlock is great, and this has to be the best podcast for it. I was overjoyed Aww. when you decided to to do the first six episodes. I thought I was going to have to go years without, and now it's sort of like Christmas. Keep up the great work. Aww. See how we're reacting to this. We need you. Yeah. Great show from Mad Money. Love the wrap up of this show. It's loads of fun. Five stars. And then uh, Mamp DX2 says, great after show for a great show. So glad to have found this podcast slash YouTube cast. A very fun analysis of my one of my favorite shows. And I'm delighted they're now going back to the beginning of the series. You guys rock. You guys rock. Oh, yeah. my God. We have, so I think nice. we're hovering around 51 reviews right now. I'd love to see that get to 60 by next week. I think we can do it. Yeah. I think we could even go higher than and that. And how about a challenge? We go 75 ratings by the end of season two. 75 Ooh. ratings by 75. the end of season two? Yeah. Okay. I say we can get 25 more ratings by the next four episodes. By the Should next we four get episodes. some incentive? Some Maybe? incentive, perhaps. Well. <laughs> Maybe we'll sing one of the songs you guys write for us. Yeah, Ooh. one of the songs you guys write for us on the show. Uh, we want to do some Sherlock parody songs. Send them to us, and we'll totally, totally do them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. Um, I'd also like to say if we can get to 75, I will do everything that I can to get one of our two leads at the very least on the phone the next time there are new episodes of Sherlock. I will make it my waking mission (laughs) to make it happen. Even if it's five minutes on the phone, if we get over 75 reviews and ratings by the end of our season two recaps, which wrap up next Wednesday, I will spend every minute making sure that this happens. I will assist when I have free time. Yeah, we'll assist when she has free time. She does not have as much free time as me, apparently. Because apparently. apparently every waking minute is just going to be spent knocking on the doors of Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Benedict. Yeah. Benedict. Or at the very least, Benedict. at the very least, we can get good old Greggy Lestrade. Okay. <gasps> Could we? Oh, my God. Yeah, you cool. with plots. That would be great. Okay. So, uh, the first case we are presented with uh, is the very first uh, case that Sherlock ever dealt with in his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, this envelope is sent to is sent to um, to the police station to Scotland Yard, and it is a phone made to look like the phone from A Study in Pink. And this is the first time that that John's blog really plays into the story. Well, I think it's the first time that it's his blog has been. It's announced that he's writing in it. Yeah. And, and he's writing the story. Everyone reads it. Yeah. And everyone loves it. And I love uh, the part where they're down at the station and he's just like, you all actually read his blog. And they're like, oh, yeah, we all do. Do you really not know that the earth revolves around the sun? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter. It's just information. Who cares? Uh, it's not important. I delete it. Yeah, exactly. But it, it just goes to show how, because Sherlock is so disconnected from the regular human society, that he does still have a voice in the community yeah. through Watson. And mm-hmm. I love how like everyone, even Lestrade, be, and just like loves it. And the, it's kind of like gossip. You know, They're like the tabloids. Oh, there's another blog out. Let's <laughs> read it, you know? Well, and it humanizes him a lot because, you know, when he comes in to work on these cases and he talks down to them like they're idiots. Yeah. And then you find out that he doesn't know that the earth revolves around the sun. You, he doesn't know something from primary school. You know, that's something that they can latch on to and laugh at. And, yeah, it's something that definitely brings him a little bit more down to their level. And when you br- come down from your high horse, people can actually connect with you. I know they're using it to make fun of him, but honestly, I think that's one of the biggest things that helped him connect with other people was when they realized, oh, he's, maybe he's not a freak. Right. Maybe he is He's somebody. not a computer. Yeah. He is a person. 
Yeah, but I, I feel like this makes him more of a freak for not knowing that. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I wouldn't say freak, but it just goes to show that Sherlock is human. He's yeah. not a machine. Right. He is a standard human. Yeah, standard issue human, number 99754. <laughs> It's not, it's not. Program to solve mysteries. Yes, program <laughs> to solve mysteries. <laughs> the game is on. I'm bored. Shoot, shoot. Um, just so you guys know, there used to be this cartoon called uh, Sherlock in the 22nd Century. I've heard it's fantastic. It and Watson great. was a robot. Watson was a robot. It That's awesome. Amazing. That's and I used so awesome. to watch it. <laughs> Does he resemble Martin Freeman in any way? No. Okay, well, that's he, a bummer. He, he went full Watson, or as much full Watson as you can. Nice. Well, oh. If you think by Jeopardy has the IBM Watson robot. Right. Nice. I mean, mm-hmm. if, that, that's cool. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's full Watson. That's, that's really Watson. Yes. Uh, with a nice little bristly mustache on. Anyway. Beautiful. So, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the phone, as soon as he takes it out of the package, uh, there's a voicemail. Five pips. And it's based on this, uh, this old way of sending messages. Uh, that criminals would use, you know, they'd use actual melon or orange, dried melon pips, uh, five pips, uh, and it's, he starts counting down, and he sends a picture of a room, and Sherlock knows what room this is. It is another flat that uh, that Mrs. Hudson owns and just hasn't rented out to anyone. And inside are these trainers, these old trainers from the 1980s that belong to Carl Powers, who was one of the first murdered people that Sherlock ever investigated his murder. And like probably, his, mm-hmm. probably his first probably perceived failure, too, because even though he figured out that this was murder, the police, you know, that they, they didn't follow up on it, and the murderer went free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. even though Sherlock figured out that, you know, this was a case of murder, the murderer was never caught, mm-hmm. and now we see that the murderer has come back. Right, and it's also effectively the first success of Jim Moriarty, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it goes to show because, like, Sherlock was so young when he first figured that out. He was a teenager, mm-hmm. and because of his young age, they weren't going to really listen to him and believe everything he had to say. And that worked against him, unfortunately. Kind of reminded me of, like, Nancy Drew. She's so young, people don't really take her seriously. But in the end, she turns out to be right. So it was kind of that similarity going on. And it shows how long Moriarty and Sherlock have been in each other's lives in a way, too. Mm -hmm. Like, they've been competing for all of these years, maybe without... You know, uh, uh, without 100% being aware of the other, uh, who knows, Moriarty might have been looking at Sherlock from the very beginning. Um, but, you know, Sherlock definitely didn't know who was pulling the strings all this time. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, you have to imagine, if Sherlock is this way now, what was he like when you add, like, a dose of teenage angst on top of being a highly functioning sociopath? I imagine that no no policeman wants to listen to him. No. Um, no. Because he would he would be telling you all about how your clothes show that you're a closeted homosexual and that your wife's cheating on you, but then he would also actually insult you, and you know <laughs> say that you're a waste of space and you should die, because that's how teenagers talk. Um, I imagine I was never I was never one of them. Uh-huh. You were never a teenager. No, I was born at age uh, at age twenty. <laughs> I, I just, believe it. I just, I, they unwrapped me from a box and woke me up. They just pressed my power button. I'm you back are on. a DRN. I knew I it. Am a, I'm, I am a synthetic android, yes. That's, that's <laughs> not true at all. Overlap. Yeah. So um, he figures out that these trainers belong to Carl Powers and, and posts uh, his theory of, of how Carl Powers actually died to John's blog and it's and he saves this man who was giving him the instruction, or this woman who was in her car, was yeah, the first yeah. one, in her car. Um, who was giving him his instructions, saves her life, and then he gets four pips. May Snap. I ask something? Please. Uh, what is John's blog called? The blog of doc- the personal blog of Dr. John H. Watson. All right, so then the Sherlock was uh, posting to his own blog that he used to have, The oh, Science of Deduction. The Science of Deduction. I just wa- I wasn't sure uh, if Sherlock was posting to John's because I'm pretty Ooh. sure if he was he, posting to his his own. Yeah. So because I could imagine like Lestrade and everybody who follows John's blog being like, what, what, is, what is this post, John? <laughs> yeah. This makes no sense. Well, actually, speaking of the blog, and I don't know if this is 
accurate because I, I, I haven't looked. Uh, I'll be honest, I've been too busy to look. But um, we got a comment on YouTube that actually, apparently, the blogs themselves that are, you know, in the episodes like uh-huh. Study in Pink, those are actually supposedly up online. Ooh. And if that's the case, someone send us the link because yeah. I would love to read those. Yeah, I'd love to read all of the mystery stories. Uh, and all of the other stories that we don't get to see. Right. Because I have to imagine, if you're going to make that website, you can't just have, at this point, nine posts. You have to have more. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. The Maybe we stories. can get a little bit more about the elephant in the room. <laughs> exactly. You're still on that, aren't you? <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> She's so happy. There was an elephant. It was in the room. Move the on. ends. How? No. Edit. You just edit. You just... But we have everything we need. So um, the second one, we have this abandoned car and someone who's supposedly missing. Uh, his wife is apparently distraught, but not distraught enough. Mm-hmm. Jan, they go to Yanis Cars to discover to figure out, you know, what happened to this guy. And uh, the owner of Yanis Cars has a special service where he helps people leave the country and start a new life, and basically fakes their death mm-hmm. in exchange for half the life insurance money. Um, so Sherlock expertly deducts this from this dude's tan. And because there was exactly a pint of blood. Mm, Yeah. Exactly one pint. You never go full pint. (laughs) Never. Is that a rule? Yes. In, in anything. Always just go under, just go over. You never want just a full pint. Thank you. I'm not making a note of that. You're welcome. For all you aspiring con artists out there. Yeah. <laughs> Never go full pint and you'll always be okay. Uh, and and so he saves Thank you. the more you know. Yeah. Um, I love when Sherlock gets uh, colloquial. Like when he's like, "Oh, do you have a, do you do you have change for the uh, for the cigarette machine?" I'm gasping, uh, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, he would never talk like that." It almost sounds gross coming out of his mouth. Well, this uh, this particular case it shows how good of an actor Sherlock is. Yeah, did you is. see the yeah. tears? The tear. Oh yeah, like he, he starts crying when when talking about works. this dead guy to his uh, to his wife. And felt, she's nonplussed. I felt so bad because we we hardly get Sherlock to know anything, and then when he does it, it's in a it's an rude act. Yeah. way <laughs> and very insulting, pretty much yeah. to to the wife. And then we're like, this is really the only time you can give us any kind of emotion. And then he does it in the wrong way to get information. Granted, she, he's trying to figure out a, a mystery. But the way he does it, because his sociopathic tendencies, he doesn't realize that was wrong, and he doesn't see that that could actually, you know, insult the wife. And she, you know, she was like, "Who yeah. was yeah. this person?" And well, then, and but Sherlock doesn't see that that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's what got me. And that was him. Crazy that, that was him was right, all though. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's crazy is that he was right, but there have been instances where he's tried to be manipulative like that, and he's been wrong, and it just like flies back yeah. in his face, and it's just, and we sit here and just cringe. So anytime he starts to do it, we're just like, "This you is a gamble." Be right, yeah. Sherlock. Oh, I felt bad, but figured it out. Caught the bad guy. Caught the perp. It's all good, and and we saved another life. Yeah. And then, he was in uh, Piccadilly Circus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been terrible. Would have been awful. A lot of casualties. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the third case um, where oh. yeah, makeover queen Connie um, is murdered. Uh, she is supposedly killed by a rusty nail, but instead murdered via Botox. And we've got this poor old blind woman on the other end of the line. Oh. Did anybody think it was kind of weird to have kind of like this kind of comedic juxtaposition between, you know, again, Watson trying to play Sherlock, trying to uh, figure out the mystery, Mm -hmm. and then having the gravity of what ends up happening to this poor woman on the other end of the line? You know, because again, you know, John trying to be Sherlock is pretty funny. Yeah. But like to have that at the most tragic part. Of, of this entire episode is really kind of like, did you guys feel like that jived or did it just make the, the tragedy of the situation hit that much harder? I think it made it hit so much mm-hmm. harder. And what's really interesting is the first time I saw this, I definitely cried. It was really heart wrenching. Uh, the second time, all I could think was, all right, I'm Moriarty. I'm doing all this stuff. I see that she's blind. I'm going to choose someone else. Yeah. Well, he's crazy. He risks his his her saying what she said about his voice. Well, I don't know. I think 
he'd do it because he wants to make an effect on everyone that's hearing this, that he picked an old blind woman. And it's like, how terrible, how ghastly. It's the same reason he picked the kid for the next one. It's yeah. it's about the shock value of what he's doing. Yeah. Well, and I was also going to... Uh, go off of that, that because all these people that he's picking for each case, they're so different, and it's, the victimology is so random. It makes it harder to pinpoint who exactly is the murderer. Because mm. serial killers tend to have a certain type, right. a person that a they ritual, kind of, yeah. yeah, that they go over and over again in patterns. But because the victimology, there's so many different people and ages and races and stuff. It's all over the map, so it makes it harder to find who's the killer behind this and who's going to be next. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Literally, could be anybody. It's all over the place. But going back to your point, Megan, I would argue that this episode feels as high stakes as it does because one of the bombs goes off. Because we lose the life of someone who is so old and so needs our care. It's because we're having so much fun with this episode that we kind of forget that these are people. Like, I know this is television, but these are people. Well, and that's what Sherlock was saying, too, is like, well, caring about them helps save them? No, then why should I bother with it? But in fact, he does care. Yeah. And that becomes very evident, you know, after the bomb does go mm-hmm. off. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a harsh reminder that we're not just watching some bit of escapist entertainment. This guy is a terrorist. He's a terrorist and a serial killer, and people die when these people aren't caught. And uh, I think it's a necessary reminder. Uh, yeah. I think the, the irony in that is how many fans out there love Moriarty. He's pretty dope. <laughs> he's pretty dope. I like that you say that after you explain that he is a terrorist. <laughs> he is a terrorist, but he's pretty dope. Listen, the first time I saw it, I wasn't sure what to make of his Moriarty Mm -hmm. because I was expecting like someone who was more cold, cold in the style of Sherlock, but was also, you know, the professor. Like that's who he's supposed to be. Instead, he's this young guy, you know, who's like he's his voice goes like squeaky and sing song and he's like kind of goofy, but that's completely off his rock. Right. He's mad. He's completely mad, and that's why it's such a dynamic choice. Is because you know Sherlock is a high fun- functioning sociopath. This guy is a psychopath. This guy is a psychopath. He's crazy, mm-hmm. and he does whatever he wants because he can. Because no one can stop him. He's kind of like a muted version of the Joker. Only if the Joker was like a million times smarter than he <laughs> actually is. Well, I mean, it's the same way that Batman is always called the Great Detective. You know, um, so it is in many ways, it's kind of like a muted or shaded version of the Batman Joker dichotomy Mm -hmm. where one needs the other to survive, to inspire them and to make them go. But, you know, the Joker was a heinous terrorist who would kill millions of people if he had the chance. So would Jim Moriarty just for fun. Creepy. Terrible. (laughs) Bad. Just to keep from being bored. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he doesn't he doesn't care about Xbox. Mm. It's not for him. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> the Lost Vermeer. We saw clues and glimpses as early as the opening minutes of the episode where Sherlock is reading a magazine with the Lost Vermeer right there on the cover. Um, so we knew we were going to get there eventually. And, uh, you know, he's, he's desperate to figure out how is this thing a fake. Moriarty stops dropping clues. He stops, uh, you know, p- making contact. And now it's all down to Sherlock to figure out what's going on. So it's like, oh, of course, it has to be. It has to be the lost Vermeer, mm-hmm. you know, because it's the biggest thing in town right now. How how else, you know, what else would he hit if this is all a distraction? This one was actually my favorite mystery out of, out of all the ones we get. Because right from the get-go, we see Sherlock using not only his vast intellect and, you know, his ability to pick up on the smallest details um, to determine... You know, that the Vermeer was a fake and that the security guard, you know, just from the body of the security Mm -hmm. guard who nobody else could tell is a security guard. um, And, you know, he was able to piece all that together using nothing but his phone and his intellect, you know, to kind of look up like, oh, okay, oh, that's right. The lost Vermeer is here. Clearly, um, you know, elementary, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, logic dictates that that has to be a fake and that's why this man is dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Marissa? Uh, I liked this one because it really stood out because I felt like there was hints 
throughout this whole episode to solve this particular mystery because we saw the the lost premiere at the very beginning on on the television and then or the telly what mm-hmm. they call and then there was another moment where uh, the, there was the woman right before the fight on on the stage that the, she's looking at all these constellations and stars and planetary alignments and stuff mm. like that. So that, that was like subtly going on while uh, he's trying to figure that out too. So like throughout the whole like, most of the episode, there were like little things here and there that help us solve yeah. this particular one. And even even the poking you know at Sherlock for not knowing his his simple astronomy, you exactly. know that was another hint mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely uh, reminds me of like for example the reason I love Doctor Who so much is when there's the overarching storyline that you don't realize is even there. You know, you see Bad Wolf throughout the entire first season, you don't even notice it. And then you're like, wait a second, this is important. <laughs> yeah. Torchwood in season two. Yeah. Saxon season three. Yeah. yeah. Um what I one of my favorite elements of the episode is also in this story, uh, because we're we're introduced to A, uh Sherlock's homeless network, mm-hmm. which if I'm not mistaken, is is cribbed from the from the novels that he would often use homeless people uh as a source of information. They lead him to the golem who's this massive dude who has a hilarious running silhouette that's like perfectly <laughs> like he looks like a sign in motion, do you know what I mean? Yes. Like that's how he's running and then when they get to the planetarium to try to stop him, this really elegantly shot and very interesting fight sequence which is being done while this uh this planetarium show is malfunctioning, speeding up and slowing down, uh set to the planet's uh symphony. It feels almost in a weird way, even just the one shot of like Sherlock raising his dukes <laughs> and then the golem just pounding him from above looked like an old school silent film mm-hmm. to me. And it was really, really neat. I loved this style. And I felt like, again, it was a throwback to the age in which these novels were popular. What do you think, Marissa? Yeah, I was going to say the, the editing and the lighting uh, uh, during this whole fight that it was so fast and, and you can't tell and i loved how they portrayed the golem because like golem it's the word itself means like no shape it, you can't really delineate yeah. the golem and that the fact that we never really saw the golem's full face and and it's still really left up to the audience's imagination of who this guy really was yeah. and i thought it was just brilliantly done how that was just the cutting the back and forth into darkness out of darkness who what's going on i thought the erratic pace of it was pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah no great du- directing directing <laughs> also <laughs> from uh, paul, yeah. from paul mcguigan um who also <laughs> did the pilot and uh yeah i love that sequence and then you know he's desperate to figure out what's wrong with this thing and he's looking at it he can't figure it out and then all of a sudden astronomy comes all the way back and uh figures out that this supernova that's painted there could not have possibly been painted in a real vermeer and uh solved posted to the blog solved literally at the last possible second mm-hmm. yeah that was it wasn't even posted like they had him on the phone yeah he yeah. yells so. at the child no, but there was that quick moment where, like, Sherlock was laughing because he figured it out, and then he went on his phone. So it was just, like, that was his his intellect already beating it, and then, like, laughing at the end. Well, like, I figured it out before I really liked how he turned to the to the curator and was like, this child is going to die if you don't tell me why, you know, why this is a fake. And then immediately he was like, no, don't. <laughs> like, yeah, no, shut I up. have to figure it out. Yeah. Because otherwise it's not going to matter to Otherwise the, the kid will die. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he figures it out. It's great. Um, before we get to the final bit, cause it's, it, it ties into, uh, the missile plans case and then also, you know, this big showdown. We mentioned it, but I want to really talk about this first scene where we meet Jim as Molly's boyfriend. Oh, yeah. And I feel so bad for Molly. For again and again <laughs> and again, countless times. And I wonder how far their relationship went before this case happens. And I hope not far. I feel like it. it uh, Maybe nope. a month or so. No, I take I f- back what I was going to say. I feel say. like they got. I feel like. I feel like it got a little saucy. I feel like it went too far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I. 
I think I, I talked about this a little bit earlier before the show, but I felt really dumb for not realizing right then and there that it was Moriarty because they introduce him as Jim. Yeah. So it should have been a big red flag. Anybody with that name in a Sherlock show, you should be immediately like, oh, he's he's no good. He's up to no good. Yeah, he's definitely not captaining the Enterprise. He's definitely he's up to no good. Um, I think I like the way that they portray Jim as how they introduced him because mm-hmm. he's such a weird, awkward dude that it's kind of like the the superhero effect, you know, like Spider Man and Superman. They they have their human personas mm-hmm. that they're awkward, normal people that you would never think that their their alter egos right. are this so grandiose. Clark Kent and this <laughs> yes, and this is Jim Moriarty his, his facade that he's just this awkward dude who's kind of in this relationship with. Uh, Molly, and it turns out that he's actually a very diabolical dude. Yeah, and uh, he specifically tries to lead Sherlock off the scent by making him think that he was gay through underwear choice. Can we? Can we? And he slipped him his number. He slipped him his number. Oh, did he? I missed that. Oh yeah, and that uh, that was like the main thing. And he's like, oh, and the main piece of evidence Mm -hmm. is he slipped me his phone number. Right. That no one was noticing before the phone number. The things that Sherlock lists off. Can we discuss how home? homophobic that is we can discuss it i just want it noted that that is incredibly homophobic <laughs> that he ju- that he says because based on his underwear that he's definitely gay his underwear he he gels his hair he uh shades his eyebrows thus he must be gay yeah i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty messed up but because of the phone number that's that is why he ch- he he believed that he was gay yes and then later when uh there is the standoff jim says oh did you like that i did this with the underwear right uh, homophobic. Yeah, I don't know if that's more Moriarty playing up a stereotype that is yeah. in no way correct or you know applicable to everybody, um, or if that's or if he was playing to what he believed Sherlock's interpretation of the stereotype was. I I don't know. Yeah. I can't defend this. I, I really don't can't. Think, I'm not trying. To I don't think it. that Sherlock. Is, has anything against gay people. No, I'm I, saying I, these... I, yeah, I wouldn't really call it homophobic. I think that was just Jim Moriarty's clever way because we know Moriarty's very calculated and he knows that Sherlock's going to read him. So yeah. he purposely put out all these false mixed messages out there so Sherlock would pick that up. So we'll say stereotyping. Yeah, that at the very least, oh. when Sherlock is profiling someone, once he makes a, a judgment... He stands by it until he's proven wrong. And this underwear paired with his behavior led him to a snap judgment and he had no reason to question it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Also, based on what he knows of Molly and the relative disdain that I feel like he has for her at this point, he's like, of course, she would date someone who would turn out to be gay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I understand but your it's, point. It's, where a you're coming from. it's a fair concern from a writing perspective. Right. If you're highlighting stereotypes and then having somebody as smart as Sherlock going, see all these stereotypical things. This is in fact proof that this person is gay. That that does raise a, a lot of questions from a writing perspective as to whether or not that's morally sound. I yeah, just so. wanted this uh, discussion opened and noted. That fair, is all. very fair. We may move on. Okay, so. Uh, they figure out he's after he's got to be after the missile plans at this point. Had to help plan it. The brother-in-law is the one who uh, who set this whole thing up, mm-hmm. stole the missile plans, and Sherlock intends to bring them to Moriarty to make it all stop and to find out who this guy is finally. And he leaves John and heads to the pool by himself. And of course, John gets kidnapped. And for a hot second. Did anyone wonder the first time that they saw it if John was in fact Moriarty? Come no. <laughs> no. I the second he stepped out I went, "Oh no, mm-hmm. like this is this is not good cuz he's wearing the exact same coat that the guy who was on the street was yeah. wearing." Yeah. So it's like, "Oh no, like Moriarty got to him." Mhm. First split second at the first time I saw it I remember going, "What?" Yeah. Nope. Uh, <laughs> and then Jim walks out. He's his swagger walk. I gave you my number. I mm-hmm. thought you'd call. Yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I love their standoff together. Um, I love the way that it's that it's resolved. And then Jim, uh, he walks away. We think for a second that we're safe. And then he's like, hello, I'm so very changeable. 
you know, that's that's, that's pretty spot on. Is that, is, really that, is that a good one? Yeah. Is that good Moriarty? Sweet. I'll bring it back for Reichenbach. Ball. <laughs> um, I really what I hated about that scene was once they get the the bomb off of John and they throw it over there. Yeah. And then they stayed in the room with it. <laughs> it could still go off, guys. Yeah, there's still snipers there, you know. Right. But I definitely remember the first time seeing this being like, why are they still in the room? It's going to go off. Like, he's going to change his mind and blow them up. They're in the room. They're having a tender moment. Why you got to be like that? If there's a bomb in the room. Eh, this, I mean, there was an elephant in the room once. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little different. Uh, uh. It's a little different. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so you who can't see, Matt was, yeah, you, you should really look at YouTube. I can't describe it. It's the best delivery system for this show. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, my my favorite part, um, well, I, I this, for one, I think this was just a really good exchange um, because we see, for one, just how off-kilter Moriarty is, how they are two sides of the same coin, how um, they are two examples of the extreme Um and uh, I think the moment, like, where I really felt uncomfortable was when Sherlock was like, people have died, and Moriarty just yells, that's what people do! And it was at that, that point where I was like, oh, uh, I'm feeling uncomfortable now. Like, I mm-hmm. uh, like I was like, oh, okay, you know, this, he's just crazy. And I was like, no, he's crazy. Yeah. No, he's <laughs> crazy. He is bug nuts crazy. Well, you also see the, the two sides to the coin when uh, when Sherlock says to him, oh, you're you're a consulting criminal. Mm-hmm. And it's he's brilliant. a consulting detective. Like yeah. they are meant to be. It's like unbreakable. They're meant with, uh, <laughs> with Mr. Glass and yes. uh, and Bruce Willis. Yeah, well, it's like just like peanut that. butter and chocolate. Ooh, Ooh. I would love some it's peanut butter and chocolate together. together right? Peanut butter and chocolate sandwich, guys. But and uh, <laughs> how crazy was it when um, when Watson grabbed onto Moriarty? And he was like, nice try, but you showed your hand. And then the sniper, you know, dot appears on Sherlock's head. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, yeah, you totally just called his bluff right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. This was an intense scene. Yeah. I, I got to say, I loved how even though we're only three episodes in, that Sherlock and Watson's relationship has greatly evolved. Oh, and yeah. now it's to the point where Sherlock really does genuinely care about Watson. And yeah. You know, vice versa. So I loved how they played upon that. Yeah, I mean, he still keeps heads in the fridge. Well, but. and that, yeah. and when they get the bomb off of John, Sherlock is shaking. Yeah, you know, he's pacing back and forth. He's visibly disturbed by what just happened and mm-hmm. in shock a little bit. And we don't get that at you know up until this point. We haven't gotten that at all. Yeah. So to see him visibly and emotionally affected like that was really something new and something like. And, you know, the audience lets out an air, you know, a, a breath of like, oh, my goodness. Like, I, you know, well, maybe not if you're expecting, if you're sitting there going, why aren't you getting out of the room? Yeah. <laughs> aren't you getting out of the room? <laughs> that bomb's going to go off. <laughs> why are you not leaving? But, you know, for a brief moment, people think yeah. like, oh, I can catch my breath. And then, of course, Moriarty comes right back right. in. Mm-hmm. Jerk. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think we've covered just about everything yes. in this episode. Uh, I think we have some news and gossip, though. After Buzz TV News. Um, I am bringing up the news. All right. This is a very exciting article, especially after this episode. Uh, for those who've just met Moriarty, um, I got this amazing article, and it's called Sherlock Season 4, What's the Moriarty Plan? Um, I'm definitely going to tweet this out, but the highlights are that um, Moriarty's return was is planned. It was planned. It is not a whim that they had unlike I think I probably had said that I thought that sure they were like this would be fun um and so Moffat said not giving any spoilers away that I can't really say what we're doing with that but there was no last minute whim on this uh we've had what we're doing with Moriarty in place uh from before the second season and the article goes on to talk about how exciting um it was once they met Moriarty and why they decided to keep him oh great so I will definitely tweet that out well, Very that's awesome. News. So he is alive. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But they're they just saying that they've him. had this in place for from before season and two. And potentially yeah. even dropping clues throughout the last two seasons. Mm. That very may lead so. into his plot. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Thank you for that piece of news. You're going to tweet it out this week. Heck yeah. So people, watch your Twitter feed, watch our Twitter feeds, and we will uh, we'll tweet that out for you. We'll retweet. Yeah. All right, great. I think it's time for predict. Well, there's no predictions. <laughs> it's an old episode. 
Um, I predict not. I got no <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I just want to thank everybody then for downloading, streaming, listening, watching this podcast. We love doing it. We do it for you. Um, and we're so glad to have such amazing support from our fantastic yeah. fan base. Um, so please, you know, hit us up on the iTunes, the YouTube, the Twitter, and uh, stay in touch. Let's uh, let's tell them how. Yell. Where can the people find you? The people can find me online at yell.tv. That's Y-A-E-L.tv. And on Twitter and Instagram at yellteagle, Y-A-E-L-T-Y-G-I-E-L. Make sure you're following that so you get the Sherlock news. Megan Salinas. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Manguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I'm also on the Almost Human Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'll be filling in for Walking Dead again this week. Great. So I'm nice. on all of those After Buzz podcasts. All right. Marissa Serafini. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at TV. I'll spell my name because a lot of people might not actually know how to spell it. Do it. Uh, S-E-R-A-F-I-N-I-T-V, Serafini TV. And, you know, I'm here at AfterBuzz every single day, so you can find me Okay, here. great. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Lieberman. That's M-A-T-T-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. You probably should. I mean, you know you kind of want to deep <laughs> down inside. Uh, if you're feeling gross, you can follow me on Instagram. I don't know why you would, because there's not a lot of interesting stuff on there, but you can if you like stalking me and my rich, velvety voice. Uh, it's a Maddie Lieberman. It's Matt, letter Y, Lieberman. Uh, and hey, I'm on AfterBuzz TV all over the place. Almost Human, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, uh, Lost Girl with Yell, got Cougar Town, got Justified, uh, Helix and Banshee and then more coming up in the spring doing Orphan Black in April it's going to be really Ooh. exciting reuniting with my Sleepy Hollow crew for that if you guys liked that show um, and uh, if you're in LA and you like live comedy you can come see me perform at the I.O. West Comedy Theater on Hollywood Boulevard 6366 Hollywood Boulevard as a member of DJ Fawcett got two shows this week Thursday night and Saturday night, both at 11 p.m. I hope I can see you for those. I'll buy you a drink. It'll be a big old thing. And, hey, if you can't make those, Sunday, March 9th, you can come see me again at the iOS Comedy Theater. Uh, It's at 9 p.m. DJ Fawcett's doing a whole new show. It's going to be great. Thank you all for listening or watching. We will see you tomorrow for uh, another brand-new episode. Good night. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. Thank you for watching AfterBuzz TV on YouTube. For more of your favorite after shows and interviews, subscribe to our channel here. And be sure to share your opinion on the episode in the comment section below here. We'd love to see what you guys are buzzing about. Thanks again. Buzz you later.